What's going on, everybody? Thank you all so much for joining us here for another episode of the Linen Closet Podcast. I'm Tyler Linen. We have a very, very special guest for y'all today, or we have a very special episode for y'all today. Uh, y'all already know the drill, nothing but illustrious guest, and that trend continues today. We got the homie Bibbs with us in the virtual building today. So I'm gonna take gonna try not to take too much of y'all's time. I know that's that's who everybody came here to listen to. So I just want to tell y'all. Thank y'all so much for uh, for tuning in here for these last few episodes. Been getting a ton of love. Thank you so much to Chris Hallett, who was our guest on the last episode. That did really well. Got a lot of love for that. And of course, he's always great. But we have a few things I want to get into today. But again, I don't want to. I know a lot of people are coming here to listen to bits. So I'm gonna get out of the way and uh, to let y'all listen to that. And then on the other side, I do want to talk a little bit of Dallas Cowboys and a little bit of college football playoff with y'all. So. Uh, that'll be on the other side of the Bibbs interview. I've already recorded with Bibbs. We go for about an hour, and it was a super fun conversation. Of course, Bibbs is always great. I know a lot of y'all listen to, to all the stuff that he does. And um, great interview. We talk a lot of Mavs and then talk some movies and stuff as well. So without further ado, I'm going to let y'all listen to that. And then on the other side of it, we'll talk some Cowboys and we'll talk some uh, college football playoff with y'all. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and now the man that y'all all came here to listen to in the virtual building with us today is the homie Biz. What's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I was just telling you off cam, uh, just got done playing basketball, so I feel good. Man, we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. This, uh, this has been a, a minute in the making. We've been pretty pretty cool with each other on Twitter for, for quite a while now. We've actually worked together a little bit, but just never uh, on a podcast. For those of you that don't know, Bib, super into movies. You go check out his website. But uh, like once a year, he has pretty much his own version of like the Oscars. And I believe twice now, maybe just the once, but I think it was twice. Uh, you had me should as like part of the panel for that. So yeah, it should have been at least twice. I had set up for you to be on the panel last year. I just, I, I still have the list. I still probably want to do it at some point, but it just never happened last year with the pandemic and everything. But definitely, definitely long overdue for us to, to link up like this. Absolutely. It's funny. And we'll, we'll mention that a little bit more later towards the end of the show. Cause I know people want to hear as much Mavs content as possible right now. But, uh, the last time you had me on that panel, I take that stuff super seriously, dude. Like I spent hours and hours on that. And, uh, <laughs> the girl I was dating at the time, she, she kind of called me out for it. She's like, you are spending a lot of time on this. And I was like, dude, he had me on the panel. Like, yes, I'm going to spend a, a lot of time on this. <laughs> I didn't mean to get you in trouble. <laughs> no, you're good, dude. So uh, before we get started, I, I think everyone listening to this is well aware of who you are, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't at least, you know, introduce you. So Biz, can you kind of introduce yourself real quick, what it is you do, where people can find your work, all that stuff? Oh, man. Uh, the Twitter account that you, if you're a Mavs fan that you want to follow is going to be at Bibbs Corner. Um, I'm very unfiltered, very raw with my takes. Um, I, I might second guess my own takes two minutes after I send them, but I'm going to tell it how I see it. Um, that's just what I've been doing. Uh, I try to also highlight people that are doing their own things. I don't, I don't like try to put myself in a circle with certain people and uh, cordon myself off. I try to, to raise the profile of other people if I can. So, um, I don't know. I think I'm a friendly guy, for, for the sure. most part. not, not to the Mavs at all, but, uh, <laughs> otherwise I'm a pretty friendly guy. Uh, I like movies. I like uh, TV. I talk about everything. I have a lot of interests. For sure. And I kind of want to start there before we actually dive into this season. 
uh, you have like kind of carved out a really cool place for yourself within Mavs Twitter. Cause I think it's been, a, it's been the, the case for a while now. I'd say at least two, three years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, but obviously it just continues to grow and grow. But um, I actually uh, was lucky enough this, this year I got credentials for the first time and uh, a conversation I was having, I believe it was with Hendo and I don't remember who we were talking to, but it was me, him and somebody else. And he was the one that mentioned, you know, we've kind of arrived at a place where the average Mavs fan, they're not necessarily, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say these people's names, like they're great at what they do, obviously, but people aren't really tuning into even like the Tim McMahons or Brad Townsend's anymore necessarily. It's a lot of people on Twitter, such as yourself. So like, how cool has it been to kind of like carve out that place for yourself? It's, it's been a weird journey because uh, when I was in high school, college, I, I wanted to be sports media. <laughs> and somewhere along the way, I, I got away from that. I didn't want to do it. Um, and then with Twitter, I just was talking and it just kind of turned into something. And I've just gone and gone with it, basically. Uh, but it has been. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I, I've thought, had this thought previously that if I had known that social media was going to be what it has become, I would have stayed that course and I probably would be, be in a very different place right now. Um, I, I didn't see the future going the way it was. I stayed away from journalism because I, for me, it's all about wanting to be authentic. And I didn't feel like being in a certain, if I, if I was working for, let's say Dallas Morning News or something, I wouldn't feel like I was going to be able to put out the stuff that I would want to put out. Uh, so I went away from that, that area, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey. And again, I haven't been, I wasn't initially necessarily trying to create, you know, a, a platform that has become what it's become, but I'm, I, like I said, I'm here for the ride. So. Fair enough. And I mean, I mean before we get into this season as a whole, I want to talk today. It's been particularly fun. Uh, we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon and I mean, it's been happening over time, really, the last few weeks. You kind of see it happening, but I don't know. Today specifically felt like the day where Mavs Twitter just decided they had had enough. Mavs Twitter, I, I brought this up earlier. At times, Mavs Twitter can be like the grossest place on earth, but somehow things are so bad that even they have united to come together and rally not only against this team, but against the social media team. Like, And also, I saw a tweet yesterday, I believe it was. I don't remember who it was from, so I don't want to you know, miscredit anybody or anything. But they had asked the question of all the NBA fan bases, who's the most down bad right now? And I had said, obviously, I'm biased. Like A huge majority of what I see is Mavericks, but I have a hard time believing there are many fan bases <laughs> out there that are having a worse go of it than we are right now. Yeah, I think it was uh, Molly Morrison, I think is her yeah. name. He's a Grizzlies fan. Um, yeah, man, it's 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 interesting. I um, I'm trying to choose my words here. Um, I think that with the Mavs, and I, I I explained this to somebody who was like, "Y'all have Luca. Like, how can you be down bad?" And it's like, yes, we have Luca, but we've also run out the same team for three straight years, and we've seen this team lose in the first round, and not just lose in the first round. Like, that's something like context matters so it's losing in the first round and seeing the entire team disappear besides Luca, and thinking that somehow running that squad back is the answer and we're, we're just supposed to accept that it's built up frustration over time that we're stagnant and we're not doing anything to change our our situation I think that's where you get all the the angst and the anger um and as you mentioned the mad social media thing they've been antagonistic. The, the organization, social media, the media, they've been antagonistic towards the fans and uh, Mavs Twitter. I, um, 
I'm, I don't want to put your platform in, in, in the hot water or anything like that. But, you know, I had Skin Wade come on the podcast um, after I had said some not so nice things about the Mavs play by play broadcast. And we had a conversation about Mavs Twitter and just online discourse in general. And something I noticed that he did um, was he said Mavs fans at one point. And then he corrected himself and said, I'm sorry, Mavs Twitter, as if to say they're not the same thing. Like Mavs Twitter is not Mavs fans. Um, and I noticed that that I think Mark Cuban also has that same approach where he, he sees Mavs Twitter, Mavs Twitter as a separate entity from Mavs fans because they're considering Mavs fans the people in the building. Um, and that dismissiveness invites us to then, why would we care about what we're saying about you if you don't care about us? Right. To that point. How, how different do you think those two things are? Because obviously, no matter how big Twitter itself is and Mavs Twitter is, obviously, that, like, he's, like he's saying, that doesn't represent the entire fan base. I'm sure, one, Facebook itself, you see the, the account today in, in Mavs Facebook, and it's always very different from what we see on Twitter. But then, of course, you have older people or people who aren't on social media at all. How, how different do you think the, the fan base as a whole is from Mavs Twitter? I do think there is there's a, a lot of differences, uh, especially, and I, I've had this conversation with people online as well, lower bowl fans versus the upper deck fans, like sure. uh, the season ticket holders. Those are the people that have Cuban's ear, in my opinion. And those people aren't on Twitter for the most part. Um, they're buying tickets. They're buying merch. They're in their arenas loud. Uh, I think, I can't remember who it was. We were getting blown out and Boban comes in and the arena still goes crazy. Um, people on Twitter wouldn't be going crazy for Boban down 30. You know what I mean? So I do think that there is a difference, but I think that when you, again, this goes back to Cuban needing to stay away from microphones a little bit. When you go on to, you know, uh, a podcast, a radio show, and you dismissively talk about a certain segment of fans, that's not a good look. Oh, in my opinion, that's just not, that's bad PR. Oh, for sure. And, and to your point about um, the difference, especially being at like lower level seats and everything, a, a huge majority of what you see on Twitter are people posting their their tickets and they're up in the nosebleeds. And I even saw someone the other day, I don't want to say any names, I'm putting anyone on blast, but they're like, should I buy tickets for Saturday night's game? I'm going to have like $50 for the next week. And they still did it. And then, of course, it's a night where you don't see Luca, you don't see KP. But I, I, I like, I love this portion of the fan base because that's who we are. We're the people that we ain't got the money to go like that, but we're still going to go support this team, even though they've been awful for three weeks or a month or whatever it is. Um, you had mentioned getting restless, especially because of how little they've done over the last few years. I want to rewind just a tiny bit. We're going to get into this season. We're, we're getting there. But they obviously do get rid of Rick and Donnie. They bring in Nico and J-Kid. What was your thought process right there? Because I think I was very vocal, of course, but uh, the second it was rumored we might hire Jason Kidd for a number of reasons, I couldn't have been more against that. Uh, kind of put us in your headset when all this is going down. Because that happened, like I believe, on the same day or in back-to-back days. So, Yeah, so I had been very vocal about Donnie being a dinosaur and needing to get him out. I had been very vocal about feeling like Rick had lost the team to some degree or wasn't the coach for a young team, like a team led by a young player like Luca. Uh, So I was very happy when I saw that those two were out. Then the Jason Kidd thing comes up and I was like, he, when his name first came up, I was like, he is the last person I want to get this job. 
like 100%. you said, for multiple reasons. Uh, what were your reasons? I'll ask you that uh, if well, you're willing. To- <laughs> I, I, I'm perfectly willing to give them. I don't know which one I want to say first, but I mean, one, the non the non basketball related issues alone. It's like, you know what? One, maybe no one should be hiring this guy. Two, maybe us specifically with everything that's been happening, maybe we should not be the ones to do this. Not maybe we shouldn't be. And then second, even on top of that, for the people that didn't seem to to care about any of that one, he's not even a good coach. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, Even just a few little uh, time management things, like at the end of the game, having people miss free throws. Like we've seen that we've seen his uh, locker room turn on him pretty much every opportunity. I, I guess the only redeeming quality there might would be, is he's had the chance to go be an assistant coach with a winning team. Maybe things are different now, but there were so many reasons not to. And what were the reasons to just because he was a Dallas Maverick because he was on the championship team. I mean, yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't even out. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head on all points, uh, specifically talking to his history uh, of off the court issues and our, our history. That's again, I, it's hard for me not to put myself in a PR standpoint because i'm a pr person uh if you have a history of domestic sexual issues within your organization to hire a coach with a past like that it's just not a good look i don't care how great a coach he is and then when he's not a great coach on top of that what are we doing (laughs) you know you're high and i always have i've had a very strong opinion on mark cuban living in 2011 too much and this felt like more of that as well um like you said, his, he was a mediocre coach at best in his past stops, and then he's had locker room, front office issues and turmoil. I, I, I have a problem with the culture in sports, really, of recycling average, mediocre-ish coaches instead of giving new people chances. In the NBA, a lot of new coaches have gotten chances and have done great things already, so you would think that the trend would go away, but it, here we are with the Dallas Mavericks living in the past again, so... Absolutely. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Some, that's something I've been very, very vocal about, maybe even more so with the NFL than uh, the NBA necessarily. But I mean, it, it's happening so much and it very, very rarely works. Uh, I will say, though, when it came to that package deal, I was pretty excited about Nico. Obviously, we didn't have a ton to go off of just other than great with pro- player relations and uh, not trying to give Jason Kidd, any credit that he doesn't deserve, but apparently he's kind of in the same boat. You combine those two, maybe that could work out. Um, we didn't get to see a ton of it this offseason, but I don't know. Is that something we're – are we putting any blame on them, or are we saying they just didn't have time to do what they would have wanted to do? So I will say that Nico – again, we don't know what he's going to do in this role. He's never had this type of job before, but I, the idea of Nico is exciting to me. Uh the, the sad part is, like you said, they didn't have a ton of time. Um, and that's in last this past offseason was the last time we were really going to have any flexibility financially. Uh, I feel like he was kind of he came in again, not having a ton of experience and not having a ton of time to really prepare to do anything. Um, I was a little disappointed that we didn't buy a draft pick so that he could at least get a draft pick in. Uh, he really didn't get to do a ton of anything. We, we gave Luca his contract. We re-signed Tim Hardaway Jr. And that was pretty much it as far as like major moves. Uh, we picked up Reggie Bullock, which was a, I guess that was our big free agency signing. Sterling Brown as a rec, uh, another young guy who maybe has a little bit of upside. And then just tacked on Frank Nilakina and almost cut him apparently. 
uh, if Tyrell Terry didn't have personal issues, which again, I still don't, we, I don't know if we've ever gotten answers on what's, what was going on with him. I do hope he's doing well, but they came out and said, Hey, we were going to cut Frank and Neil Aquino, uh, but since Tyrell Terry's out here, we went ahead and cut him. Um, and Frank has probably been the best of the three <laughs> all season editions. Sure. Uh, but none of those guys are sexy moves uh, to just to keep it 100. Like none of those guys are sexy moves and we have no flexibility. So it's, I said on my podcast even to yesterday that um, I'm not going to judge Nico until at least the trade deadline. But again, I'm looking at our roster. I'm looking at our assets. There's not a ton he can really do. Um, oh, so I mean, 100%. Uh, to your point about the, the offseason moves. So I'm one of those people, I am the world's first to admit when I'm wrong, because I'm wrong a good bit of the time. Now, when I'm right, I like to bring that up as well. But I was, I was, I was big on Reggie Bullock. I thought this was going to be a really good move. I thought he fit really well with the team. Uh, he comes out, it starts the year. Not bad. He had a, I believe it was the home opener. He goes off for like 13, 14 points. He was pretty efficient that night. And then um, there was another home game not long after that. I believe I was at both of those home games. That's why I remember them as well as I do, but I was like, okay, as the president of the Reggie Bullock fan club, this is looking like it's going to turn out well. And then I'm looking today and I believe he is shooting 27 and a half percent from three. I mean, and then, like you said, they bring in uh, Sterling Brown. They bring in Moses. My question, and I guess he has been getting a little bit more PT here lately, but is he just awful in practice? Why was he not getting any opportunities, really? And that's that. – I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with that, but I'll say maybe he's awful in practice. I think a part of his problem is that he looks like he's bad more than he is bad. He's just really gangly and goofy, awkward. I don't think that he's as bad as people seem to perceive him to be. But then again, the people in front of him aren't great enough, in my opinion, for him not to be getting consistent five, 10 minutes a night to at least try to see if we can bring him along in his development. That's that's my thing with the Moses part. I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, I 100 percent agree with you. So, well, let's get to the point where we actually are in this season. I have the schedule pulled up here. They did get off to a pretty good start. You lose to Atlanta, but then you come back, win three in a row. Uh, you split a couple games, then you win three in a row again. And before you know it, you're you're nine and four. But even then, people could say whatever they want, and I've been a part of it. I, I tweeted something yesterday that got a little traction. That's like, remember when the Mavs were nine and four? Wasn't that a lot of fun? But even then unless I'm misremembering, we weren't super content with that. Those weren't, I, I don't remember people walking away from it saying, oh, you know, we're, we're playing really well. I actually, again, could be misremembering, but I, even at that point, remember people tweeting like, this isn't a fun team to watch. We're nine and four and we're still not like in a great mood. Um, what, what was your thoughts of, of us getting out to that pretty decent start with a nine and four record, but also maybe not playing to what we wanted it to be? Yeah. So I think, I want to say at that point, was is the Denver win in that uh, range? I, I believe so, yes. So I think the first, before the Denver win, up to that point, we had lost to every team above 500 or every playoff quality team, and we beat a bunch of lottery teams. And not convincingly, like we were skating by against lottery teams. And so it was hard to feel good. Like it, it didn't look great. Guys were missing shots. KP had some good games in there, so that was encouraging. Um, Luca had some good games in there, that was encouraging. But as far as the overall product, it was against a lot of the same stuff, but missing a lot more shots than we were used to as well. 
So the record, I, I, I personally wasn't looking at the record. I just was looking at the product. And now we've seen it come home to roost in these past couple of weeks. Right. Um, for anyone that's not aware, I think everyone listening to this would be. But uh, like we said, we, they were nine and four. And as of today, recording this, they are 11 and 11. And tomorrow night they play the Nets on TNT, which will not be fun at all. But let's kind of walk through this stretch real quick. I believe the first couple of games of that, uh, they just weren't healthy. Luca missed a couple of games. KP missed some games. But it just couldn't have been a worse stretch. Like you said, uh, the Denver win was really when this began. So that would have been back on November 15th. Uh, you lose three in a row, two to the Suns, then to the Clippers. You lose to Washington. You lose to New Orleans. You lose to Memphis. I mean, this this stretch has been miserable. And honestly, I'm probably overreacting a little bit. But I, I made a comment to a couple of buddies of mine the other day that I can't remember – feeling this negative like I'm sure it's happened there were years where we were awful but at least you knew you were awful at that time you're not supposed to be awful right now this is your third year of this experiment uh I mean it should be finally working right now and it's not no you're you're 100 correct uh the tank years were not as bad as it is right now and it again comes back to we've seen the same team for three years in a row if you're running back the same team the the expectation is that you think that this is they're going to improve that they're going to be better and they're not and we see that they're worse actually so it's how are we supposed to be hopeful is the the question there like we've seen this team lose in the first round twice and now they look worse how are we supposed to get up for that uh, 100%, but fast forward into where we are right now. Like we said, we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon. Hopefully y'all listening either tonight or tomorrow, but we've got the TNT game against the Nets. Uh, one, I guess before we can even get to that point, we should acknowledge everything that came out about KP today and him saying that apparently he is waking up in the middle of the night with pain. Well, how do yeah. we feel about that? So when you see the quote and when people see the quote, that's going to be alarming. Um and I even said, I think I said, oh, this is not going to cause panic, of course. Um, when I put that tweet out, a few people responded who have had ACL injuries and said that they have similar situations where I think uh, two out of the three people that responded said that they also deal with things like that with their ACL recovery. It just kind of is a thing that goes along with it. And KP did add on the comment that uh, he expects to play or hopes to play tomorrow. So it is what it is to me. It's, it works. He's great. He's very PR savvy and media savvy. It works. It comes off to me as don't trade me or like, I'm going to knock my trade value down <laughs> so that people hesitate to trade for me. I saw you making that point earlier today and I kind of agree with it. If we're being honest, uh, one of the questions I got that people wanted to ask were how optimistic are you coming into this week? For those that don't know the schedule this week is uh, like we said, you got the Nets tomorrow night. You've, you're at Memphis on Wednesday, at Indiana on Friday, and then at OKC on Sunday. Uh, I expect one win. In a perfect world, we come out with three. Um, that's all. I, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> one win out of this next stretch, and you're going to be what? Twelve and 14, 12 and fifteen, something like that. Yeah, twelve and fourteen. So, at, yeah. at what at what point is it? perfectly fair to hit the panic button or are we well past that point already so i i can't say panic button um the biggest problem for the my fear right now is that luca's legitimately hurt and i think he's been trying to play through it but i don't know if he should 
And I don't know if I can watch this team with Luca not on the court and be happy. Oh, there's, and- there's no chance. I mean, even uh, to that point, it was Saturday night's game. So my birthday was yesterday, Sunday. I've had this tradition for like as long as I was able to drive to Dallas. Every year, I don't know what it is, but they always play the night before my birthday, but never on my birthday. So I would go every single year. And this year, I was like, oh, I'm going to get to do this and be in the press box. This will be fun. And I saw no Luka, no KP. I, I didn't even go. I was like, I'm not going to watch this team without Luka Doncic on it. I'm not I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, I, I can't blame you. Um, it was – and you made the right decision. That game was terrible to watch. Like, um, even Hart, who is – the voice of all optimism on the broadcast like he's calling shots to go in that don't go in all the time and always finding something positive to say he let out an exasperated sigh during the broadcast at one point and I was like it was jarring I was like what what was that and then I realized it was harp like just exhausted watching his team like <laughs> it was bad uh to your point you you have been mentioning this for quite some time now uh, and it's because I think you watch as much NBA as you do. You're not just watching your team and you're not just watching um, national broadcasts. You're watching a bunch of games. You're watching a lot of regional broadcasts. Um, I've been kind of the same way, especially these last couple of years. Uh, and I've completely fallen in love with it. I think the rest of the world has too, the Charlotte broadcast. But who are some of your favorite ones out there? Because I know um, you've been pretty critical of the Dallas one. A lot of us have. Uh, a lot of Mass fans, even ones that aren't necessarily seeing others, have even got to the point where they're like, yeah, I don't love this broadcast. So who are, uh, who are some of your favorites to watch? So Charlotte is definitely a top one. Uh, Dale Curry, his knowledge of the game and the way he talks about the game. Uh, I made the joke one time. I, I, I want to say I was watching a Warriors game and he does, he doesn't, the way he talks about Steph, you wouldn't think that was his father. Like he is so locked into his job. And I, I love, again, I love the way he breaks down the game, the way he analyzes. And then I can't, I wish I knew his co-host's name off the top of my head, but he's all energy, all enthusiasm. His co-host up. is a ton of fun to watch and to listen to. Yeah, no, that, so that broadcast, that's just a perfect dynamic. You get your basketball knowledge and then you got your fun guy. Um, and they're very realistic. They're, when their guys do bad things, they're going to say it, which is what I like um the Cleveland Cavaliers I wish I I, I, I'm not good at knowing people's names the Cleveland Cavaliers broadcast was also uh pretty solid um the Orlando Magic I I like the Orlando Magic crew I listen to a lot of their games the Knicks I have to mention the Knicks Walt Clyde Frazier another one of those guys he has fun but when the Knicks are doing bad things he's calling it out hey Julius Randle has to get on the glass you know, things of that nature. Like it's not, it's not hard. It shouldn't be hard to say when your team is doing things they shouldn't be doing. And that's my problem with the mass broadcast is that they seem to go out of their way to avoid saying anything negative at all or anything critical about the team. Fair. Uh, I'm kind of all over the place right now, but uh, I'm getting some questions. I do want to make sure I get to those before I get to everything I wanted to get to. Someone asked, um, when does the Dwight Powell experiment end? How do they move on from him? And what does that look like, whether it be a trade or a waiver? What would it be? Or in your opinion, is this experiment never ending? So as long as the roster remains what the, the roster is, we're going to continue to see Dwight Powell. Um, somebody's got to get that flash drive that he has with that Mark Cuban information on it. So <laughs> maybe we can trade him. I think he's kind of locked in as a Mav until that flash drive is, is, is out of here. Um. Being 100% honest, did Mavs Twitter bully Willie Cauley-Stein out of playing ever again, or what happened there? Kind of worried that that might be what occurred. 
to be honest. They said it was personal things. Usually if it's something like family related or whatever, they're used, that usually comes out. Uh, but nothing has come out. I'm, I'm legitimately concerned about what's, what's going on with them. Nah, see, I'm at that point too, because I was very early on the Willie Cauley-Stein hate train, and then it felt like it gained a lot of traction, and now we're at this point. It's like, I really hope that's not what happened there. Um, yeah. I, I do want to talk about, we have to have some bright points this year. Obviously, I think <laughs> Jalen Brunson's been a big positive so far. What are some positives that you have seen from this team so far that you like moving forward? You're going to need to give me a moment. Um can't, can't come up with any? I got one. Uh, Frank Nielakina's look great. Um, I feel very validated for defending him for the past four years <laughs> when he was on the Knicks. Um, he looks confident. I don't – I was about to go to a negative point to, with regard to Frank, but when he's been on the court, good things happen. Even when his shot's not falling, he's making things happen. So very happy that we picked him up. It feels like everybody likes him. It feels like it could be a long-term situation, hopefully. Uh, so so that, that's, my, that's my big bright point, I think, for this team so far. Uh, this is going to be a very tough and a very broad question, but what is going to have to happen for this team to start improving? Like this year, starting to win games now. I mean, obviously, I do want to ask you about trade deadline stuff here in a second, but is that what it's going to take? Or what can they do to start turning this around? Because they, they have to do it quick, I feel like. Yeah, so I think one of the things I'm going to put like a coach, my coaching hat on here. <clears throat> I thought that with the new GM, with the new coach, that the the roles and responsibilities would shuffle. I feel like we're too married to the guys that have been here forever and not willing to shake things up as far as the rotations and the lineups, et cetera, so forth. Uh, the the what we do who we are is way too stagnant i think jason kidd needs to get creative with his his rotations he needs to penalize guys for playing poorly especially vets like a young guy if you want to give him some time to play through it that's fine but a 30 year old should not get to play through missing 30 shots uh or, or missing like tim hardaway will go 10 for, or two for for 15 and uh reggie bullock like you mentioned is shooting 27 percent from three i feel like josh green could shoot 27 percent from three uh if he was actually getting minutes so like at what point do we start to to not feed the seniority and experiment with some of the younger guys and and you know send a message that you can't just roll show up for your job play poorly and continue to get 30 minutes a night that that's my that's the biggest thing to your point about the rotations we complained a ton about Rick Carlisle, and it was granted. I mean, that was perfectly fine. It was warranted, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and especially not only rotations, but not getting to young guys. And yeah. I had assumed maybe that was a Rick Carlisle thing, but it, we found out very quickly, I feel like, into this year, it's not just a Rick Carlisle thing. Jason Kidd is every bit as bad about it, if not even worse. And then again, you include the poor management late in games. Uh, that kind of thing. We've seen that on a couple of different instances already. Uh, how would you grade Jason Kidd's performance so far? I know it's really early. I know it's been tough with injuries and everything, but other teams have to deal with injuries as well. Other teams only have the sample size. So I, I don't know why it's unfair to go ahead and ask this question. No, I think it's the perfect time. So I was one of those people, you know, I, I obviously didn't want Jason Kidd, but I said I was going to be patient and I said 20 games. So we're, we're 22 games in. And my observations are there's zero creativity 
with his rotations. Uh, the one time he, the couple of times he did try to get creative, it was a terrible decision. Uh, one example I can give the Suns game. We were winning the entire game. Yep. Order, he decides to go to a zone when they have four shooters on the court and they just start wetting threes on us. And then there's the game. If I'm not mistaken, sorry to cut you off. If I'm not mistaken, I mentioned that exact same thing on this podcast a few weeks ago. He let that rock for four or five straight possessions. It led to a wide open three every single time. He never took the time to to change it. He never took a time. I don't remember the timeout situation, obviously, but he never called a timeout. He just kept letting that happen over and over again. And we were up, like you said, that entire game. They they had that game won. Not one, but they very easily could have won that game. And then they just let that rock. And before you know it, you're down seven, eight points with a minute and a half left. Yeah, that's exactly like it like it went on for too long. Like two they hit two threes in a row. And it was it, it wasn't like they just moved the ball and got an open look. It was like one pass and the whoever our defenders were didn't know who they were supposed to be guarding. And they would wetting the threes, like I said. So uh and then the second Suns game, we did something something similar. Um this Memphis game, no Luca, no KP. Get creative with your rotations. There was no creativity. It was the same guys doing the same things. We didn't try to uh, work in the the young guys to see if maybe we could get something going. Like we we sat through three quarters of terrible basketball with with kid not saying you know what the starters or whoever's playing terrible. Let's infuse. Let's put a group of these young guys in real quick because at least I know they're going to play with some energy to send a message like that. That's what a coach would do in that situation. But he's just right. It feels like somebody that is saying like, these are the, who, these are the guys that the management has said are our top guys. I'm not going to stray away from the guys that they like. Uh, if I, if I, as long as I play those guys, then management can't get mad at me. And, and, and just going along with like towing the company line basically and like riding with it. That that's what I, that's best case scenario. What's going on there. I think what I'm about to ask you is probably you're going to have the same answer for it, but another thing, not just off with the rotations, but, and again, I watch way more Mavericks basketball than I do any other team. Maybe it's happening way more often than I realize, but it feels like they constantly have two bigs out there at all times. I saw a stat the other day, Maybe I misread it. Maybe it was incorrect, but I believe it said they ranked 27th in offensive rebound percentage. Why are you having two bigs out there at all times if you're not getting any second chance points out of it? And it would be different if they were well above average shooters or something like that, but they aren't. Why is this continuing to happen? Is that the same answer? It's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of these are the guys they said are good to go. Like, these are the guys that Mark Cuban's not going to complain if I play. So they're going to play. And it's, again, that lack of creativity and, Josh Green is a great hustle player. They can get offensive rebounds, like like you mentioned. Throw him in there to see if he can shake things up a little bit. Um, Moses Brown, uh, all he pretty much does is rebound. Right. Throw him in there for a couple minutes if we're we're struggling on the glass or whatever the case may be, just to mix things up. It's again a lack of creativity. It's not going to kill us to play either one of them for five minutes. I watched Dwight Powell and Willie Colley Stein get dunked on. If Moses Brown commits a foul or two. That's that's at least progress. At least we're getting in the way of the dunks that are occurring. If Josh Green misses a couple threes, you know what? At least our first round pick got a chance to shoot a couple shots in a game and get some confidence potentially going instead of watching Reggie Bullock break threes all day. Like I, I don't we're not losing anything by playing those two guys. Absolutely. That's the, the exact example I was going to say, even if Josh Green is awful, even if he's missing wide open shots. I watch every other player on that team, Reggie Bullock specifically, they miss 
they they get a ton of wide open looks. They're just awful at hitting them. Uh, another listener question I have, and this will kind of take us into, uh, you know, moving to like the all-star break, that kind of thing, trade deadline. He asked, um, can the Mavs be a title contending team with KP on the squad? That's a, that's a tough one too. Um, theoretically, yes. But as far as what's actually available, like as far as, roster upgrades because I feel like he needs a specific type of center beside him I don't see that guy out there as available currently like I can't think of a name off the top of my head that I would love to hold, hold down that position so as it stands I'm very much in favor of KP moving on from this team at some point Fair I, I don't put the work together unless we can get that that certain type of center um Moving forward to that point, what even are realistic possibilities for the Mavericks to do to upgrade at this or at all at this point in the year or before the end of this season anyway? Uh, obviously, you're seeing names like Drogic or maybe uh, – I mean, I've, you've even seen some rumors of making a trade for like Bagley and Harry B. Or, of course, people want to keep throwing Christian Wood out there, but I, I don't see that happening. What are some actual realistic possibilities that they can have – that can happen and – realistically how much better does that make the team I do think Dragic is a reality I think that that's something that could happen I know uh they said the Raptors don't didn't want to take on salary previously I don't know if that's still going to be their stance at this point in the season uh I know I, I popped in I've been those Twitter spaces is great first of all I, I popped in a Raptor space and they were talking about centers and Dwight Powell specifically came up. Moses Brown came up. We know that they're actually good at developing players. I could definitely see us ending up with a trade for, it's going to be after December 15th, but I could definitely see us making a move and, and trading for Dragic. Um, the whole idea of waiting for a buyout is completely stupid, in my opinion. Uh, I'm willing to get rid of Dwight Powell to get Dragic per personally. And then if we can even re-sign him for the low next offseason, amazing. Um I feel like he should, I, that's, I was about to go on a tangent. So Dragic is definitely one. Bagley would be a good idea as well. Why? Because his strength coming out of college was rebounding. And that's one of our weaknesses. Like I would love to have a young guy that's aggressive on the boards next to Luca. Um, I'm trying to think. There were a few guys that I had my eyes on. Mo Bamba was one, but I think he's playing too well right now. Um, that whatever we have to offer, another team is going to offer something better if he's available. Um, I think what we have to do is find those disgruntled type of players, players that are in bad situations like Bagley, like Dragic. Those are the guys that we're going to be able to get. I don't think we're going to be able to get any quality rotation type guys because our, we just don't have the assets. Let's take uh, Dragic specifically. What would his role be and how much would that improve the roster? Is he, how many minutes a night is he getting? What does that mean for someone like Jalen Brunson? I mean, I'm sure he would coexist with a lot of these guys, but exactly what do you think his role would be and how much it would improve the team? I, I think he would be that secondary ball handler that I, I want off the bench. He's a veteran that's played in big game situations, so he could be in that closing lineup. Next to Luca, uh, we've seen it work with Brunson from time to time, but it doesn't work with Brunson against all teams. We've seen Brunson struggle with length in those situations. I think that Dragic won't have those same issues. Uh, I also think that Dragic adds the element of senior leadership, a guy that Luca will respect and has to respect and will listen to, a guy that can get through to Luca about 
something I went off on a tangent about on my pod about Luca's leadership and how his body language, how he his demeanor affects the rest of the team. Uh, Dragic is not gonna Dragic is gonna hold him accountable in those scenarios. And say, hey, you can't be running around, moving around, hanging back on defense like the team is following your lead. And if you're not locked in, then they're not locked in. Um, I, that, that was part of why I was in on getting Kyle Lowry, even if it was going to cost 40 million this offseason, because you need a guy who's done something of value, of note, that is a leader, is good, that is going to get in Luca's ear and is going to not back, like not going to fear talking to Luca. And Luca's actually going to know that he, they, he should respect what they say. I will say, I, I think not near enough people have been talking about that specifically. I've seen you started to talk about it. Of course, you said you went, uh, on a tangent today on your own podcast. I don't want to steal any of your own content, but I also am aware that anyone listening to this has probably already listened to your episode before they, you know what I mean? So can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause like I said, uh, I haven't really seen other people talking about it. I've seen you starting to talk about it a little bit more. Um, are we starting to question Luca's leadership or, or where are we at with that? So I think it, historically when the idea or the topic came up, uh, most people, myself included, said, you know, he's a young guy. I'm not expecting him to be a leader. But he is the leader. Whether we like it or not, he's the face of the franchise. He's the guy that makes the, the wheels turn pretty much for this team. Um, so he doesn't necessarily, and I, again, this is part of what I said in my, my kind of rant or whatever, he doesn't have to be a rah-rah, fire the team up type of guy. Dirk was never that. But the way he carries himself has to be that of a leader. Uh, and I said, like, if I had a son in middle school and he's the point, the starting point guard for his team and I'm seeing him like hang back and argue with the refs after every play, I'm going to take him aside and say, you can't be doing that because what you're doing is creating a five off for a break opportunity for the opponent. Uh, Jason Kidd kind of alluded to in his comments after, I don't think it was the last game of the, the Pelican, the second Pelicans game when we lost, he mentioned, um, guys hanging back. He, we know he means Luca, uh, but he's tried to say, Yo, you know, not just Luca, but it, it's Luca uh, hanging back and then guys dropping their heads after missing shots. Um, and all that comes from Luca. And I asked the question this was the whole, the way I went about it is Luca a front runner? Because that's a problem I had with Steph Curry is when things are great, he's laughing and giggling everybody's having a good time, but when things are bad, his body language is terrible and that rubs off on the rest of the team. 100%. Uh, before we move on, I, I should have asked it. That was a bad transition. We were talking about Jalen Brunson. What do you see his future looking like? Cause I know as soon as this year got started, he comes out the gate super hot playing really well. And immediately I think we all had accepted he's going to get paid. He's going to get a big contract. What do you see his future looking like? And is it as a Dallas Maverick? So that's a, that's a really good question. That's a tough question. Um, we're in a very bad position when it comes to the Jalen Brunson situation because he's an unrestricted free agent. He can pretty much go wherever he wants. Uh, a lot of people have said, oh, there's only really like a handful of teams that can really offer him a big contract to steal him away. Um, I do think he can be a starter on a bad team. And if he wants to do that, then he can he will do that. <laughs> like we can't stop him from doing that. Uh, but if he does, again, see his future, and I've heard rumors that he's the most important guy in the locker room, pretty much, as far as leadership 
And we know he's a championship pedigree type of guy. He's a legacy guy whose dad played in the NBA. Like he's, he knows his business. He knows how to to lead a team. So I do think he's going to get a sizable contract, a minimum 15 mil, uh, could get close to or above 20, potentially that Fred Van Vliet type area. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think he's hurt himself recently, especially that like if he has another, if Luca's out again and he has another game, like the Memphis game, people are going to question whether or not he can be a starting point guard in this league a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to get six man type of money that like Tim Hardaway Jr. got. And um, hopefully it is in Dallas. It's going to be up to him though. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Again, another listener question. We kind of already touched on Goron and everything, but I don't know that we got this specific answer. He asked, uh, what percent chance would you say that they do end up getting him? And he also asked, how could they go about getting a real big man? Now, again, I know we've already talked on this stuff a little bit, but that's a specific question. I don't think we got a specific answer necessarily. So I, I did want to at least throw it out there. I think it's a 75% chance on Dragic. Uh, I can't foresee a scenario where he doesn't end up in well I can I can foresee a small window that he doesn't end up in Dallas it would have to be a contending team uh because they have to he has to buy in like they're not just going to trade him anywhere so it would have to be a team that's definitely in contention that either feels like they need a veteran leader like a Dragic or has an injury where they're trying to replace a ball handler off the bench or something like that like that's the only teams I can see swooping in to get them and they're going to hold out till the last minute if they don't get a package that they like. As far as trying to get a big onto the roster, one, I, I'm not sure they if they care about that. To be honest, I, I need to hear some comments about it, quite honestly. But <clears throat> there will be options. I can't name them right now, but there will be options that come up between December 15th and the deadline. And I hope... I'm not judging Nico yet. I haven't gotten enough information, but I hope that that's the the priority for them is to get an actual big man onto the roster. Fair enough. Now I know you can't predict the future or anything, but we've been here for a while. I don't want to take all of your day, but I am going to ask you to predict the future a little bit. It is Monday, December 6th. What do you see happening for the remainder of this year going from what it, you know, how they play between now and the trade deadline, what they do there and where does this team end up? Are they, I think coming into this season, we would have wanted them to be anywhere from a three to five seed, six at the absolute worst. At, at the way they've been playing, how you see things going moving forward, where does this team up end up? And is it another first round exit? Yeah, so that's a that's a trick question. So before the season, I did predict that we would be tied fourth, fifth uh, in the West. I still think that that's a strong possibility, not because we're that good, because, you know, on paper, you think, oh, four or five seed, you're a solid team. But because the rest of it, everybody's having problems besides the top three teams, Phoenix, Utah and Golden State. Um, everybody else is dealing with injuries. Everybody else is dealing with roster ter- turmoil. The Kings fired their coach. The Blazers fired their general manager. Like all the teams that we're competing with are also having issues. So I do think there's a strong possibility we still end up in that four or five range. Uh, we could end up in the play-in. I wouldn't surprise me either. Um, we're definitely not getting to that contending level. I can't see it. Uh, that best case scenario, we're five, four, five. And like, like you said, it's depending on who we match up with, we're probably out in the first round. I, could Denver, could one of these, Denver has options. Other teams have options to get better 
to steal that, to get into that fourth slot, to match up with a team like us and put us out. Uh, and that's where it's kind of hard to be optimistic about the rest of the season. I, I wouldn't, we could, if we get into that four or five game, I could definitely see us getting out of the first round, depending on who our opponent is. But again, like what, after that, it's that we're not beating those top three teams as, as it stands. I will say to that point, uh, that was something I was talking about with a buddy of mine specifically looking at the rest of the Western conference. And I think that's what makes this so frustrating is it's not only year three of this experiment, we're not seeing any improvement or anything, but it's specifically, and again, we didn't come into this year saying, Oh, we can win the West. If you look at this team, it's not a team that's going to win the West. But when you look at how we were specifically talking about uh, Denver with MPJ getting hurt recently, but if you were, if there were ever a year that you could win the West, it's very weak right now. I mean, we're looking at a situation where you've got the Warriors who are playing amazing basketball. I don't want to make it sound like that, but even without Clay and all these guys, they're doing what they're doing. And then you've got the Suns. I mean, are we going to win? When are we going to see a, a West that's this week as a really banged up Warriors team in the Suns? Like if you were ever going to have a chance again, this is not that kind of team, but this would have been that kind of year. It feels like. No, you're a hundred percent correct. And I think that's part of the frustration too, is that it's the playoffs is about matchups and depending on how those matchups fall, we could have very, if we had done any, slight improvement if we had gotten a big man if we had gotten another ball handler that can can close in the clutch we would very easily be able to have a conversation about stealing the west uh depending on who we matched up against and because we didn't do those things we're not in that conversation and that's 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 frustrating uh moving on again i want to get you out of here pretty quickly you've been nice enough to give us a lot of your time i do want to talk some movies with you stuff do you have any mavs comments or notes you want to make before we before we transition if I can not talk about the Mavericks, that's a beautiful day. Awesome. So for those of you that don't know, Biz, you're super, I mean, I would, I would say probably as into movies as basketball, maybe not quite, but I mean, you definitely um, cover them something. in everything. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your website, the movie content? Oh, okay. Here we go. The, obviously yeah. y'all can't see this, but he's showing us all his posters. We got get out Nightcrawler, knives out, dude, the taste first off. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'm actually, I was looking at my walls the other day. I'm going to buy some more movie posters because I'm tired of looking at the math stuff at this point. Um, <laughs> the I, I do love movies. I've actually somewhat taken a break from movie reviews this year um, because I'm trying to finish up my master's. But um, on the movie side, man, I, I still watch as many as I can. I still watch as much TV as I can. I'm still involved with PR people promoting movies all the time and uh, i've made some friends in the industry um i got my first imdb credit this year uh, which is exciting I uh, yeah so it's 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 I, I i do love movies and i think movies help me get away from the frustration of the mavs um as much as possible so absolutely i want to ask this is a very a broad question and i apologize but like just how do you feel about the general uh, landscape of where we're at with movies because I think especially going back to last year 2020 we weren't really able to go to the theaters like that uh, in 2021 we have been able to a little bit more but there were so many big projects that got pushed back and pushed back where we haven't gotten to a lot of those we're starting to see some of them but I mean how do you feel about where we're at right now me personally um, as a horror movie fan I'm I'm cool with it obviously I'm someone uh, back as recently as 2018 2019 I mean I was going to the movies probably 
at one point I was keeping up with it. And I mean, I'm talking 40, 50 times a year. And I realize there's people that go to way more than that, but I'm talking, I mean, once a week, if you can, and obviously right. we're not at that level anymore, I'd probably never be at that level anymore. But for me specifically with horror movies, this was kind of happening before the pandemic. And it's obviously happened way more since, but we're getting a ton, a ton of low budget straight to streaming services, whether it be shutter, which I'm a big fan of anyone listening. Y'all can borrow my shutter. If you like Bibs has used my shutter before. I love it. I think it's a great app. Uh, but we're seeing more than just that. Uh, and I think we're slowly starting to see that with other genres of movies as well. Is this something that you're a fan of or how do you feel about it? I, I love it because one of my, first of all, the horror genre is, um, it's probably the best genre out right now as far as being able to do a lot with a little. Um, some of the best storytelling, some of the, um, what was the movie that came out earlier this year with the the house? The Night House, is that what yes. it's called? Yes. Uh, a movie I, I didn't have really high expectations for, but they told a story that, I mean, you could, I, I can't remember. Did we have a conversation about that one? I don't think we, we've talked about that one yet. I think I talked to, I had a, a, like a really good conversation with someone on Twitter about that movie um, because I, I kind of was sleeping on some of the themes in it. But again, it's very simple, not a lot of effects, not a lot of, not a huge cast but you're able to tell a really deep story and keep a keep an audience entertained. I love all the mediums. I love all the the, the, the directors and actors and actresses that get to have their, their the movie in front of a lot of people, whether it gets picked up by a major studio or one of the 50 streaming services that exist. Like that's all, as a creator, I can imagine that would be, that's great to just be able to sell your product and have it out there. To that point, one of maybe the best horror movie last year, I, can't take the name off the top of the head. Uh, the one, it was in a Zoom chat. Um, and it, yes. And it literally ran as if it were in a Zoom chat. It's 60 minutes long. You can see the timer the entire time. I thought that was a great movie. And who knows without the pandemic, I mean, it's literally set in the pandemic. That was the whole premise of the movie. Like without that, we don't probably get a movie like that. And we've seen a bunch of others, just whether it be lower budget movies or whatever. Um, obviously, I know not everyone cares about horror movies the way I do. So obviously I look at it more from that perspective, but uh, I think we're seeing it in other genres as well. No, definitely. Um, <clears throat> again, during the pandemic, and I was a guy like you that went to as many movies as possible, at least one a week, uh, sometimes two or three in a day, like depending on how I was feeling that day. Uh, I would come to Austin for the South by Southwest just for the film festival um, and watch three, four or five movies in a day. Um, so when the pandemic hit, it made things kind of trickier. Like I had to find things to watch online. And throughout this process, through my website, I had some girls from London reach out to me with their web series that they put together. And it's like a comedy, dramedy type of web series. It was really good. And, you know, I might not have had time or paid attention to that previously. Um, and now we're like friends, like they've started a production company. They make a lot of short films around, you know, emotional trauma and things like that. And it's $10,000, $20, $15,000 budgets. Um, so it, again, like you said, it's not just horror. You can tell a lot of different stories in a lot of different ways. And thanks to YouTube, thanks to the, the quality of phone, video cameras, whatever the case may be, there's so many different ways to get this content. And that's, that's exciting to me as a, a viewer. At what point do we see this start to affect like the Oscars and award shows like that? And also my second question is 
as a society or whatever, have we outgrown the Oscars? Have we outgrown a, a reason for that at all? Because I know to an extent that was kind of why you started your awards the way you have them and what you think they should be. And I 100% agree. I think you have this perfect mix of uh, smaller movies, also big budget movies, uh, movies that are important or whatever. Um, are they ever going to adapt to that? Because looking at what it's going to be, it was weird last year and that wasn't necessarily their fault. It's going to be weird again this year, which might not be their fault. But at some point, do you see them adapting at all? Or are we just going to keep things the exact same and us, even as movie lovers, are just not going to care anymore? I think a problem that we have is being too married to tradition with these type of things. Um, <clears throat> and we've seen it uh, with the Oscars and the Emmys. For a while, they tried to shut out the streaming services. They did not want to take the streaming services seriously. They kept making up rules to make it so that streaming films could not get nominations. At, at, uh, and we've seen them slowly have to back off of that. Uh, I think they do still require the movie has to have a theatrical run. Um, but they started to give awards to movies from Netflix and Prime and et cetera and so forth. So I do think it could happen over time. I think the leadership in charge, the old guard has to, I hate to say it like this, but the old guard kind of has to die out <laughs> in a sense, because a lot of these people that are voting are 80 years old and right. You know, when they started, films didn't have people talking. And now there's people talking through video, like phone videos and stuff like that. And it's 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 hard. It's hard to ask an 80 year old to change that much. For but sure. younger people in, we should hopefully start to see some of that change more and more. I agree. And like you said, it's hard to ask them to change that much. But if we can't ask them to change that much, like you said, you either have to uh, bring in new people or we just aren't going to care anymore. I think we're probably at a point where we don't like you and I are still going to watch the Oscars every year. You and I are still going to have opinions and we're going to complain on Twitter, but like the average person does not care. Like the, I mean, even maybe four five, six years ago, an, a very average film watcher would probably watch most of the Oscars or they would tune in to see the big awards anyway. And that's right. just not the case anymore. And they're getting to the point where they're probably going to lose us at some point too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> and it becomes more of a, will they do right? by these people or will it be, it be more of the same and at some point they have to know that people complaining about the oscars every year is not good for them um and i'm not saying they have to bend to our will and give the awards to who we think should win them but there's situations where they're not even looking at the right they're not like they're the the way they're voting is poor in a way that we're able to predict. Like, all right, this is the type of movie that's going to win, or this is the type of person that's going to get this award, and we shouldn't be able to predict it to that degree. Final Oscar-related question for you: Are we is am I ever going to get to see a day where horror gets any kind of love? Because we've seen a little bit, like Jordan Peele winning Best Original Screenplay, which had he not would have been ridiculous. But we've seen a lot of performances, specifically the one that will forever bother me. Uh, I guess Florence Pugh got some love, but that was for Little Women. Um, but uh, Tony Collette, not getting for Hereditary, to this day, bothers the hell out of me. Uh, did Lupita even get... Uh, she got a nom, maybe, for Get Out. Not a thing. For Get Out? Yes. She might not have... Or uh, for us, you rather, mean, For us. I don't know if she did. I remember I nominated her as both characters of my awards. I, If you'll <laughs> remember, I was the one that brought that to your attention. I asked if we could nominate her twice. Yes, yes. So that was fun. That was a fun experiment because when you think about it, she's playing two different roles. So. Right. 
Uh, are we ever going to see a point where they start getting more love? Because Tony Collette and Hereditary is one of my favorite performances of all time. And you can't tell me that. I mean, I don't remember the noms that year, but I do remember looking at them and being like, she should be over this, this, this. Are we ever right. going to get to a point where maybe that gets any love or probably not? It would be nice. I don't understand it to a degree because I feel like horror movies, especially movies like that, Lower, it's not like a slasher film. Like that's going to be an emotional, right. you know, you're going to express some emotions in a horror film. And Tony Collette, like you said, she killed it. Um, I love Tony Collette. Um, it doesn't make sense that they don't get enough love. And I think it's the fact that, again, these people are set in their ways. They don't watch these movies. They didn't watch Hereditary. Um, and it's very obvious when they don't watch a movie. And they'll even say, I think there's been quotes where they'll say, I don't watch XYZ type of movies. Like, I'm not voting for that because I don't watch it. They want to see the old hoity-toity type of movies and it just again we need those people out if we need to get more people in to cancel out the lack of votes for those uh, types of films then that's what it has to be but it's, it's not going to change until the people in, that are doing the voting change to, to your point uh, a comment I've always made and again I'm super biased when it comes to it but especially with the directors we have today people like uh, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Robert Eggers they make films that literally what you're getting is a super emotional but also i think wide-ranging role and it, it puts you in an opportunity to where you can showcase your talents like that and i think they're being done beautifully i mean the reason why those three big directors are the ones i mentioned i think over the last few years they've had the biggest movies but those were all very emotional psychological movies you know what i mean that's kind of the direction we've moved in especially with like a24 getting as big as they have and hopefully we will start to see some of those performances get noticed um one of the last things I will ask you, and I'll let you get out of here. You said you haven't been reviewing as many movies this year. Uh, are there any movies or performances or anything from 2021 that you want to point out at all? Or Yes, and I might have just frozen on your screen because I'm going to my list. Um, <clears throat> I try to keep a running list of my favorite movies every year. Uh, and and I've also keep like a running list of like award, my award nominations uh, for the year. So I'm trying to find my 2021 movie rankings and i'm hoping that you haven't seen at least one of these uh, i'll be that. honest I've been, I've been slacking this year so there's probably going to be a few on here that i either haven't gotten to yet or you might even surprise me with some uh, that wasn't on my radar like that okay so i'm going to give you my top five first uh my top five movies this year from five to one so far are the night house uh nobody shang chi Free Guy and Little Fish. You got Free Guy that high, huh? I do. I, I enjoyed the experience that much. I've, I've seen a lot of people saying that. I never got a, I, I haven't gotten to see uh, Free Guy. And honestly, that wasn't even a movie that I was like, oh, I will go see this. But I've seen a ton of people like yourself, people whose opinions that I like trust and value saying all the same thing. Yeah, it was, um, again, it's not just the entertainment value it was hilarious first of all the visuals were great but the story is also pretty solid in my opinion um so you got all three i think uh the twist I don't, I don't know if you can call it a twist but like there's reveals that come along uh throughout the course of the film that kept me riveted the entire time um and i do try to base my reviews not just on my personal feelings but on the overall experience and how i think other people will receive it 
uh, for, for me personally, no one else is going to care about this at all. Did you see Halloween Kills? And can I get a quick review if you did? I did no? not. I have not seen a single Halloween movie. so Oh, we had this conversation. My fault. Yeah, I want to do it the right way. And so if I'm going to see Halloween, I got to start from the beginning. Like I got to watch it from the beginning to the end. Like when Dr. Sleep came out, I went back and watched, um, oh my God, The Shining because I hadn't seen it. So uh, I, I the- love Dr. Sleep, by the way. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Dr. Sleep was amazing. Real quick, we'll get you out of here. Big projects or movies that you're looking forward to in 2022. Obviously for me, at the very beginning of the year, we get Scream, <laughs> which is going to be a ton of fun. We even get a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, which I wasn't excited for at first, but then the trailer dropped today. It's going straight to Netflix, but the person who made it also made uh, the Evil Dead remake in 2013. Don't Breathe, Don't Breathe too. So if it feels like it's in the right hands, probably. So those are a couple I'm obviously super excited for. Uh, for just the average movie fan listening out there, like what's something that they should be looking forward to in 2022? So I only look a month ahead, really. But I'll say as far as like off the top of my head, anything Marvel I'm going to be at, you can go ahead and pencil me in for those or put it in pen, actually. Uh, But Jordan Peele has the movie Nope, I think, coming out next year. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely curious to see what he does next. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting another get out with us and it didn't really get the love that it probably deserved. So I'm hoping with Nope, we get another uh, Jordan Peele masterpiece. If I'm not mistaken, maybe I misremember, but isn't that cast Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer? Like that would be a ton of fun. Yeah, I know Daniel Kaluuya's in it. I'm not sure about the rest. Which I, I'm one of those people. I love everything Daniel Kaluuya's ever done. Like I, I ride for that dude. He could have an awful performance or be in an awful movie. I know there he's had one that a lot of people didn't love necessarily, but I, I'm defending him. Him and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Those are my two right now. Like put them in anything. I'm riding for it. I think. Uh... I just forgot the dude's name. Oh my God. Uh, have you seen the movie Loose? Oh, I have not. Uh, Kel- Kelvin Harrison Jr. That's my guy. I ride for Kevin Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, I think he's in. I'm, I'm at. Although awesome. he's the movie he's got coming out next month, this month. Uh, I think it's like a, it's him and um, the guy from Game of Thrones. Um, oh my gosh. The the the, i don't want to say (laughs) i've never i've never admitted this to anybody well i've admitted it to a lot of people never publicly never saw game of thrones never seen a second of game of thrones i can't help you out there (laughs) man i'm sorry it's the the short guy i can't think of his name oh peter dinklage there we go peter dinklage it's like a romance a romance where like peter uh, peter dinklage is in love with this lady in like you know medieval type times and she's in love with Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s character or something like that. Um, and he he helps Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s character because Kelvin Harrison Jr. character has the looks, but he's not the brains and he has the brains or whatever. So he's testing me with that one. It looks kind of goofy, but I, I'm going to ride for him either way. Final question for real. You mentioned Marvel. Have you seen Eternal? So, and if you did, what, uh, what was your review for that? Cause I actually did see it. And I'm one of those people, I'm not crazy into Marvel. I've I'm caught up. I, I'm aware. I know the entire universe or whatever, but I haven't, I don't know that I've even seen every single Marvel movie. I'm almost positive. I haven't, but I, I liked Eternals a lot. I didn't think it was amazing on my personal scale of one to 10, uh, which I'm not going to break down. No one cares, but I'd give it like a five and a half or a six. Like it's definitely, something i'll re-watch at some point but i don't know how much rewatch value it has yeah it was very mid <laughs> it was i i enjoyed it like i didn't like i it wasn't rolling my eyes i wasn't like ready to go um but it's like on a marvel scale like i wasn't blown away 
Um, it did its job. I was actually more excited about the end credits than the movie itself. Um, to see Angelina Jolie in such a small role was weird. It was. But I just, they just had too many, they just had 10 people to work in. So <laughs> somebody was going to not have some lines, but it was fine. Like it did its job. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for coming in here with us. I told you I was going to try not to keep you forever, but I, I have this just never any theme with my guests where I tell them that and then we go for an hour anyway. And I apologize, but thank you so much for coming in here, dude. It was a ton of fun. And obviously I know everyone's going to be excited that we had you on. Everyone loves, loves your opinions, loves following you on Twitter. And I know they love your podcast as well. So any, any bibs content they can get, I think everyone's always, always grateful for that. No, I appreciate you having me, man. This is like you said, it's long overdue. I'm definitely going to make sure we get you on the film podcast uh, to talk some horror movies and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. I don't know how long we've been doing this, but it's it's been it's been enjoyable, so it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Hopefully we can have you on again sometime, man. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. One more time, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all give it up for Bibbs. That was that was a ton of fun to do. I can't thank him enough for taking the time to come in here and do this with us. I told y'all I wanted to talk a little bit of Dallas Cowboys and then uh, some college football playoff with y'all real quick. So thank y'all so much for taking the time to listen this far. I know it's it's been pretty time-consuming, so I'm going to try not to go on forever. But I do want to start. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, coming off the 27-17 uh, to 17 win over the Saints this past week. And I don't know about y'all, but I – I do not feel good about this win at all. I know it's hard to complain about a 10-point win on the road, but this game just, I don't know. I mean, you look at the last few weeks, and there's been very, very little to be positive about. But the one thing we kept telling ourselves was, even if we haven't been playing very good against good teams, you look at the remainder of the schedule, and it's a lot of really winnable games. You need to get back on the right track. You need to start winning these games big again. And that was an, an awful start. And I'll, I'll be honest, let's get right into it. I'm back. I'm all the way back. I know this has burned me a lot in the past. I know it's burned me a lot in the past, but I'm going for it. I don't care. I don't care. If nothing else, maybe I start doing this and he starts playing well again and y'all have more reasons to make fun of me, but the Cowboys are good and he's playing well. And I'll take that risk. I would love for that to end up being the case. But Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott has not been good in a minute. He has not been very good this past week. Uh, 26 of 40, 230 yards, one touchdown, one pick. QBR of 38.3. A QBR of 38.3, which was better than Taysom Hill, who had a 28.3. But for the season, I don't want to lie to you. I want to make sure I get this exactly right. For the season, he has a QBR of, I believe it's 39, or uh, 49.3. A QBR of 49.3 this year. That's I, I looked, I believe it's 20th in the NFL right now. I believe it's 20th in the NFL. And I have a lot of people uh, talking about how his passer rating is way better. His passer rating is way better. It is, because he ends a lot of these games with a lot of yards. I mean, his passer rating is better than that, but his QBR has been awful this year. Zeke is still nowhere to be found. This week he was 13 to 45. He averaged three and a half yards per carry. Tony Pollard ends up averaging 10 per, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he have the, the huge run, the 52-yard run or whatever it was, which made up obviously a huge majority of that. The defense, sorry for clearing my throat. I don't know what else to do. Uh, the defense has been better. The defense has been better. They had, I believe it was four picks this past week. 
But again, three of them happened on three drives in a row when the Saints were trailing with Taysom Hill as their quarterback. I, I wouldn't say this defense overall had a great game. I, I, I don't know. And I'm honestly getting to the point they are 8-4. and four. They are 8-4, and four, and I'm probably going to catch flack for this. But is nobody else a little bit worried? Is nobody else just a little bit worried? They're 8-4. and four. They're, they're going to win the division. Hopefully. Hopefully, they're still going to win the division. I mean, they are still going to win the division, but then what? Then what happens? I, I, I think we're past a point where just making the playoffs is good enough, especially with as good of a team as you do have. They have to get it rolling these next few weeks. Your, uh, your remaining schedule, you have two uh, road games in a row starting this week at Washington, then at the Giants, then versus Washington, versus Arizona, at Philly. You should win, what, three of those? You win three of those and you end the year with 11 wins? That would sound good. And who knows, if they really pick it up for the final month of the year, maybe we'll feel way better about it. But with the way things are right now, this team is going to get into the playoffs, and, and obviously we have no idea who they would face. We have no idea what that matchup would be. We have no idea what the health of that other team would be, what they were looking like to get into the postseason. But the way things are right now, I, I don't have them winning a playoff game. I don't have them winning a playoff game. Even if they were the favorite to win that game, I don't have them winning a playoff game right now. They're going to have to look way better over the final course, or over the final month of this season. And specifically, I think Dak Prescott's going to have to look way better. The run game has to get better for sure, but Tony Pollard has proven that he can do his thing. If you have the mix of him and Zeke, maybe Zeke will turn it on a little bit. You have plenty of weapons. Your receivers have been doing good this year. The defense has proven that they can force takeaways. They might not be a, a, a top-tier defense, but you don't need them to be if they are creating turnovers. If they're creating turnovers, getting you the ball back, getting you the ball back in decent field position, as long as Dak Prescott starts to play better, at that point I would feel better about it. At that point I would think that they could win a playoff game. But even then, I, I, I said this, I believe it was after the Chiefs game, or it was during the Chiefs game, and obviously I, I feel the exact same way about it now. This team, when they come out from the very beginning and they're able to control the game the entire way, they can beat anybody. They can be one of the best teams in the league, but the second things aren't going exactly their way, it, it no longer becomes a point of they can beat anybody. It becomes a question of who do I think they can beat. Just being realistic, and, and I know uh, it, it's burned me in the past, and I don't care, that's fine. You say things on a podcast, they're going to be wrong. But if you told me they lose at Washington this week, I'd believe it. I'd 100% believe it. If you told me they lost at Washington this week and then turned around, I mean, they're not, they're not going to lose at New York, right? Then you play Washington at home, hopefully you win that one, but then you host the Cardinals. I don't think you're going to beat the Cardinals. You'd finish the year on the road at Philly. Like I said, I mean, you win three of these. You win three of these, you finish the year with 11 wins. But if that's the case, unless they're looking way better, I don't know how anyone can feel positive about this team. And I think the biggest bummer of it all, I know I've been a big bummer today. We, I'm always a bummer. But talking about the Mavericks and how the biggest thing with the Mavericks is it's frustrating because of how weak the Western Conference is. 
I think we came into this season thinking if everything goes right, maybe they will be a really good team. Maybe they will be a team that can not only make the playoffs, but also win a playoff game. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was doing the Tyler Lennon show with Ryan Humphreys, he made the comment, he didn't necessarily think that they were going to get to the NFC Championship game, but he said if they could, how big that would be moving forward. And he's right. It would be. But I, I, I think more so than it being a matter of how big that would be if they were to get to the NFC Championship game, I'm almost looking at it from the opposite end of that. I'm almost looking at how bad it's going to be if they don't. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there. As always, at Tyler underscore Lennon on Twitter, give me your opinion. What are the Mavericks, or not the Mavericks, what are the Cowboys? How are they going to finish the year? What's their record going to be at the end of the season? And what happens? Obviously, we don't know who's going to be in the playoffs or anything like that, but I would I would like to hear y'all's opinion. As of today, I'm recording this. It's um, Monday night. How do y'all see the Cowboys finishing this year? As a playoff team, sure, I think most of y'all are going to say they're a playoff team. I think most of y'all are going to say um, that they do go ahead and win the division, and I'm with you. They probably do go ahead and win the division, but I, I do not see this team winning a playoff game at this point. Like I said, at Tyler underscore Lennon on Twitter, or uh, of course a lot of y'all have my, if you have my number, whatever, however, however it is you would hit me up. Now let's talk about the college football playoff. Um, it is set. It is set, and I, I'm thrilled that Cincinnati is going to be in it. I am, unfortunately. I, I don't know. I'm one of those people. I've never really been big on the get the smaller team in there. This year, I, I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I really like the Cincinnati team, really want to get them into the playoffs. Unfortunately, you're getting Alabama in the first round. Unfortunately, you're getting Alabama in the first round. And even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, okay, that can probably still be a game though, right? And then when you watch what they did to Georgia, okay, maybe it's not going to be. But the main thing I wanted to talk about with y'all, because I don't, I don't think it's a matter of whether or not they got it right. Um, as far as the seeding goes, the only thing I can think is maybe you put Georgia at four and you keep Cincinnati at three. But then it becomes a question of, okay, are we going to have Alabama and Georgia face each other two games in a row? Or do you separate them? If they end up being in the championship together, they end up being in the championship together. That's my only thing. I think if they would have came to me and I got to see it, I would have went Bama, Michigan. Actually, I mean, Bama should be number one, right? But, I mean, what, what could Michigan have done differently? They win their conference championship game by like 40 points. Like I don't, I don't know what they should have done differently. I might would actually have gone Michigan number one. I know nobody cares, but um, that's another thing y'all can hit me up at. What would your final four have been? But the thing that I wanted to talk about, I'm seeing this from uh, the Reddit College Football Twitter account. This is what this year's 12-team playoff would have been. And I want to walk through this. I know uh, it's, a, it's an audio medium. Listening to someone explain a bracket is not a lot of fun, and it doesn't work very well. So I'm going to try to go through it pretty quickly because I have a larger point that I'm trying to make. I've always been on, or I've always been in favor of expansion, but I always thought you should start with six. Start with six. You're getting exactly what you're getting now. The top two teams would have a bye this year. Uh, what Notre Dame and Ohio State would get in. That or Notre Dame and uh, Baylor would be the two that got in. I, I would have been perfectly fine with that. 
I, I haven't been someone that's pressing for a 12-team model. Maybe you get there at some point, but I found this interesting. This is what this year's 12-team model would have been. Of course, I'm hitting a ton of buttons. Here we go. Thought I had it pulled up. We have it pulled up now. This year's 12-team model would have been Ole Miss and Oklahoma State as the 8-9 and seed. The winner of that plays Alabama. I think Ole Miss, Oklahoma State would be a lot of fun to watch. I might would go Oklahoma State in that one which would end up giving you Bama versus Ohio State. But another first-round matchup you would have, five-seed Notre Dame against 12-seed Pitt. The winner goes on to play Cincinnati. Then you're probably getting, I don't know, this, this Pitt team has been fun to watch this year. They had one bad loss early in the year. If it wouldn't have been for it, they very well would have been competing for one of the playoff spots. Um, another first-round matchup you get is Baylor-Michigan State. I personally would love Baylor-Michigan State to see who goes on to play Michigan. And then you also have Ohio State and Utah. The winner of that faces Georgia. In the grand scheme of things, let's say I'm picking winners, um, which, again, no one cares who my picks would have been. But uh, let's say you end up getting Oklahoma State versus Bama. Bama still wins that. You get either Notre Dame or Pitt against Cincinnati – I think this is the only one that is different because it would have been a really, really, really good indicator as to whether or not Cincinnati should have been number four to begin with, right? I I think that one actually makes a lot of sense. But um, you'd get the winner of Baylor and Michigan State. You either get a Michigan State rematch with Michigan or Baylor plays Michigan. At the end of the day, I still think Michigan ends up winning that one to move on to the Final Four. Then you get Ohio State and Utah. The winner of that plays Georgia. Let's say it's Ohio State. Georgia-Ohio State would have been a really, really, really fun playoff game. But my larger point, even if Georgia still wins that, even if your Final Four ends up being the exact same, or it's not, maybe maybe one of them does beat them. Maybe the winner of Pitt-Notre Dame does beat Cincinnati. But what I'm saying is worst-case scenario is you end up getting the exact same Final Four, only we get a, a, a... Ton, you get two extra games for either uh, what's that eight extra games you get eight extra games out of it uh, uh, of course i want that who wouldn't want that and and literally just without the winners and who they play and what that means for the final four just those like play-in matches Ole Miss versus Oklahoma State would have been a ton of fun Notre Dame Pitt would have been a ton of fun Ohio State Utah would have been fun Baylor Michigan State would have been a ton of fun That's four games right there that you're missing out on with playoff implications, plus the next round, that's eight games we're not getting. Again, I've never been someone that's like, oh, we have to expand to 12, we have to do it quickly. I've I've been in favor of expansion. I probably would have done six, but every year is going to look a little different. Every year is going to look a little bit different. I'm just saying that I I thought that was interesting. Um, at Tyler underscore Lennon, what do y'all want the playoff, the college football playoff to be? Because it is going to expand. It is going to expand soon. What do you think the perfect setup would be? And then, obviously, any opinions you have of me going through that bracket and, and what you think it would have meant, what you think the, the Final Four should have been, what you would have wanted it to be, please hit me with all of that. Thank you all so much for listening here today. As always, it was a ton of fun. Again, thank you so much to Bibbs for coming through. That was a ton of fun. Um, Hopefully, we can get him in here again soon. We have some pretty big guests lined up. I'm not going to say any names until they're like officially official because uh, I don't want to come out here, tell y'all that a person's coming on. They end up not coming on, and then that makes them look bad. So we're not going to do any of that. But we do have a, a bunch of really cool stuff lined up. Um, 
Thank y'all so much to supporting it as always. And thank y'all for supporting me with everything I've been doing, Front Porch News, Chad's Media. Uh, we've had a bunch of stuff here lately. We have some more stuff coming up again, but that's also stuff that I can't confirm until it is 100%. What I can say, though, is I believe the last Tyler Lennon show we did was the episode with Brian Humphreys. Y'all go watch that. That was awesome. Uh, he and his Sam Houston State Bearcats, they're still in it. So please go show him some love, support him. Uh, me and my partner, Grayson McClure, We'll be back broadcasting games starting on the 21st. So that's a couple of weeks from now. I'll probably talk to y'all again between now and then. But if I don't, uh, go to the Chad's Media YouTube account. We'll also be tweeting it out and everything. But we'll be doing our first live broadcast. That is Sulphur Springs versus, ooh, it's their district opener. I should know their schedule off the top of my head. I don't. But we had a ton of fun doing that first game. We've gotten a bunch of views on that. We've gotten a bunch of really good feedback as well. So please, if I don't talk to y'all between now and then, be on the lookout for that mean the world to me if y'all check that out again thank y'all so much for hanging out with us here today thank you to bibs we'll be talking to y'all soon until then see y'all